Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to the Linux Action Show, episode 446. My name is Chris. Congratulations for getting engaged! What, dude? Yes, that's true. <laughs> wow. Wait, you? Yes, that is very true. Very true. In fact, I'll tell you more about it. Uh, but first, let me tell you about what's coming up on this week's episode of the show. Well, you know, it's kind of amazing that we've never talked about this. How do you pick the right Linux distribution? Like, seriously, like if you're switching to Linux or if you're a longtime Linux user, how do you pick the right distro? Well, Noah and I, after being really stuck on our said distros, have recently re-gone through this process. And it's something that we get a lot of emails about, so we're going to answer how to pick the right Linux distribution on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. But before all of that, we're going to talk about the news, including Canonical taking a stance against unofficial Ubuntu images. We'll tell you what that's all about, if they're really violating the spirit of open source, and who is that mysterious European provider that kicked all of this off. Then Fitbit has bought out Pebble... We have a little Mycroft news, which is fascinating. Cody is getting a major add-on, we'll tell you about. And then last but not least, it looks like it could be the end of Solaris. And then we've got feedback. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we've got? We've got the picks, and we find out who you picked to marry you. Wow, dude. <laughs> it's like I'm at Thanksgiving with a family member right now. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Let's start with the runs Linux. Uh, this is awesome. And as somebody who commutes every single day, I think about this quite a bit. So I like to see this street sign. A digital street signage system runs Linux. Check it out at streetsign.org.uk. And uh, as you would probably imagine, it is now possible to do these street signs powered by a Raspberry Pi. That's amazing. So the uh, the interesting thing about digital signage is I was actually just two weeks ago working with a developer from a company called Tightrope Media. And what they do is they develop digital signage and they're trying to get their digital signage to run on Linux. So I was pretty straightforward with them. I said, you know, if you guys can make this happen, you can get this working. I'll sell your stuff. I'll, I'll sell tons of it. Yeah, man, um, for sure. I'm only going to push it. I'm only going to push it. Only going to install it at our location. That's an interesting market to, to get into, really. Well, because the problem is that a lot of those a lot of those embedded boxes are still running Windows XP embedded, yeah. so they're going to have to redo some development anyway. So they're thinking Linux is a good way to go. Now, I came across this digital signage does everything the type rope media stuff does, except it's literally a tenth of the cost or a hundredth of the cost, and you can run it on Raspberry Pi, so you can just build it yourself if you well, wanted to. Well, it's GPL three oh. licensed too, so I'd imagine you could probably do the whole damn thing for free if you were if you wanted to. The, the software, yeah, but you still need something to to, to put it on physically. Put it on. <laughs> If 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 you right now there is a void in the industry because I've been watching the digital signage industry right and so there are companies that kind of cater to restaurants and companies that kind of cater to event centers and, and and all these different kinds of things. If you could start a company or a project has a really bang up uh, solution, they could they could fill this void in the industry. I'm telling you, if they could become the they become the industry standard of when you want to put a digital signage in, this is the company you choose because right yeah. now there isn't one. Right, and and there's various reasons for that, and this has the potential to address sure. all of them. I'll tell you, it's an interesting thing that you picked this because the first thing that came to my mind was um, I live amongst a lot of tribal lands here in Washington State, mm -hmm. and they have mm -hmm. recently been investing a ton in digital signage 
uh, along the freeway and once you get off the freeway. And they are selling ad space on the signage as a way to raise money for the reservation. And um, I now am seeing like a lot of these crop up in the last, I would say, even seven months, Noah. It's just they're like grown like mushrooms. And I even in the casinos and whatnot, it seems like they're re- they're really, really, really putting a lot of these machines in there. And a couple of them that I got to see up in person, they had like a full like i5 Windows PC connected to it with HDMI up to the sign. And, and you look at the overhead of maintaining that PC, setting up the Windows box, installing the really surely crappy software to run it, and then having to have the right. power for to run that PC and the network connection so that way you can update the signage. All It's just ridiculous when you oh, could replace all of that this. with a Pi 3. Don't you think? Don't forget activation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure you activate that Windows. <laughs> yeah, so this is pretty cool. What a, what a, what a cool thing to open source. Uh, of course, you got to have, like you said, however... You say you have to have the signage to put it on, but you know a lot of these examples are like plasma or LCD screens at events. So yeah, but you, you I know. guess what I mean, I guess that's not what I meant. What I meant was you have to have something to output a video signal to the whatever the display is. Right, but uh, a lot of conferences or even offices or businesses that want to have little digital digital signs around their office could use this. It doesn't have to be a billboard yeah. on the side of the road. It it could right right a lot of their in examples. fact I think that would be pro- that would be far more prominent would be inside of event centers and stuff like yeah. that yeah yeah interesting mm-hmm. I hadn't I was kind of thinking because I'd seen all the big digital signs recently that's kind of where I was going but then when I saw their example images of like open source events that's that's a really great use case that's well, neat. and a big thing is like a big thing is like if you have like a hockey arena right you'll have a, a digital sign and inside there'll be a little window that has the game on it and then around the game will be like the people that have bought advertisements. Mm-hmm. And then they'll surround the game with mm-hmm. advertisements. You have to have something that will mesh those two things together. Well, and like in your situation, you could already have the basic image on an SD card and a Raspberry Pi mm-hmm. 3 and the HDMI cable and a, and a few plasma monitors or LCD monitors, whatever, ready to go. And then if a client of yours wanted a bunch of signage, you could have the core technology and they could either de- they could provide the displays or you could throw a couple of displays mm-hmm. in it. It would be an interesting business to get into, even for just events, for not permanent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love open source. I love that I love that, that kind of stuff comes to everybody that wants to take advantage of it. So small businesses can do something that used to be only in the reach of massive, massive corporations, which actually reminds me of our first sponsor, DigitalOcean. Same exact thing. It gives average folk access to compute power that used to be locked up to the companies like Google and Microsoft. DigitalOcean.com. Go spin up a droplet within seconds. Super intuitive, easy to use cloud hosting. DigitalOcean.com. Just use that promo code. Here's the thing. All one word, like you're slurring it. Like we're, you know, maybe you're a couple of drinks in. You've been watching. What's that? uh, Super Troopers? Super, super, super Troopers? Which line? I have them all memorized. Are you? Which would you like to hear? Are you doing this? Here's the thing. What's where's their promo code come from? Here's the thing. No, oh, 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 here's the thing. That comes from uh, that comes from uh, SWAT. Ah, yeah. Thank yeah. you, sir. Thank you, sir. So either like you just watched SWAT, or maybe you had a few drinks. Here's the thing. All one word, lowercase. You apply that to your new DigitalOcean account. It acts like you got ten dollar dollars. Ten dollar dollars. Well, that's amazing because look at this. Scroll down a little bit on their page. 
and uh, go past the part that it talks about deploying in seconds. Go past the part where it talks about all SSDs. Go past the part where it talks about an API that's so freaking badass, so many people in the open source community have written a ton of GPL code around it. Go down to the part where it talks about hourly pricing. So, oh, three cents an hour. Three cents an hour. Three cents an hour. Three no, three cents an hour, dude. Three cents an hour. That you know what? That deserves an eagle. For two gigs of RAM. You can you can actually go less than that. That's the crazy thing. I was just gonna say a, a two over from that is seven one hundredths of a cent per hour. And yeah. honestly, I can do ninety percent of all my servers on a five twelve rig, no problem. I know, I know, I know, I know, but three cents an hour sounds cool. And it's two gigs of RAM, a two core processor, a forty gigabyte SSD, and three terabytes of transfer. And here's what I love. You want a full Ubuntu stack with like all of the gas you need? It's ready to go one click. However, if you're like Noah, stick on the mud, I'm just kidding. I used to be like this too. You want to do just a base install and build it all yourself, of course they've got that for you. And then, and then, the best documentation, maybe even better than the Arch Wiki. It's so, so good. Check it out. It's a really, it helps you get more out of your DigitalOcean droplet. It's super nice. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, use our promo code, here's the thing, get a Linux-powered rig, all SSD-based, with data centers all over the world, all over, and try it out. You can do the $5 rig for two months for absolutely free. DigitalOcean.com. Minecraft, Mumble, IRC, Sync thing. I don't care. GitLab, why not? Maybe Ghost or WordPress. Try it out. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code. Here's the thing. Thanks, DigitalOcean, for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Bookmarks are a bastard. That's the basic facts. That's the basic facts. I don't like bookmarks, but I got them. I got them up the wazoo, and the part of the thing is, is I, every single week, I'm taking more bookmarks in. In fact, let's just see. I wonder if I can get some stats here for us. Let's see. Just I, I have more bookmarks than Chris. We determined this last year at System Just for Unfiltered, just for this year, I have 1,747 bookmarks. Just for this year. And... I need a way to manage these. I need a way to be able to tag which bookmarks are for this episode of Linux Action Show versus that Linux Action Show versus Coder Radio versus Unfilter. I need a way to manage my bastard bookmarks. I hate them. I don't want them, but I got them. I got them up the wazoo, and that's where Unmark comes in. Unmark, Noah. Do something with your frickin' bookmarks. Unmark is designed to help you actually do something with your bookmarks rather than just hoard them like Noah does. A simple layout puts them in focus on your task at hand, and a friendly reminders keep you in line. Yes, I said reminders for your bookmarks. Filtering options let you find what you're looking for, and you can either uh, run a hosted version or you can host it yourself like you like to. Unmark. So... I have really, really needed something like this to the point that I'm totally being unprofessional during the show and signing up for this right this minute. <laughs> how do I get how do I get this integrated in is there an add-on for Firefox? Well, there's a couple different ways you can do it. I there might be an add-on. However, they just there's also like a bookmark that you can do. Uh, they show you in the uh, they show you over there in ah, the how to. Add on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, they do have an add-on. I don't use Firefox, so I couldn't tell you. But uh, this right, is well, something that's gonna help me manage my bookmarks. For the different shows, unmark at unmark.it. How about that? Okay, I have more. I have more questions. Unfortunately, we can't just gloss over this because this is something I really need. So, this un. So now I have unmark on on here. Can I? Uh, can I use this in place of the browser's bookmarks? Can it like will it store them outside of it, or does it just yeah. tag the bookmarks? You can import your work? browser's bookmarks. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So but that's what I'm saying. So well, I guess what I'm asking is, so it does, it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to dump all of the bookmarks into my browser. Now here's, it runs. Here's separately. what you, you could do both. So I like to have a totally clean break, but you could do, you could yeah. do an import and then you add all future bookmarks to unmark, but I would like to do a clean break. That's what yeah. I'm doing. Clean break. I, all future bookmarks go to unmark. Right. So I just, okay. So I just, I just bookmark using the bookmark add on now rather than, yes, sir. or the unmark add on. Yes, okay. sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, so oh, check it out, this. and you can self-host, which is great, and it's at unmark.it, HTTPS as well. Uh, and I hope to find myself kind of getting my head around all of the freaking bookmarks I get all week. Because, like, as news stories break, I tag them for each show, and I shuffle them around, and so I need a system to manage all of it. Because what I do right now is folders, and that stuff gets crazy. Now, I'm almost positive, Noah. I feel mm-hmm. like we've talked about Caligra. I know I say this every week, but I feel like Caligra has been talked about because it's such an essential open source designing tool. We, uh, you know, we've, Albert Westra, fr- friend of the show, we've he's often helped us do little artsy things here and there. He's got some great drawings up on Google+. Plus. I believe he uses Caligra to do his artwork. Mm-hmm. I, I, we've heard from yes, people sir. in the audience that use Caligra, so I know we've talked about it before. We have, but I don't know that we've ever talked about Carbon, which is a which is part of the Clearer Suite. Oh, and Carbon, I started using this week. So basically, I am. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I am like the Inkscape master, right? Like I can. <laughs> there, there isn't a function in Inkscape. There's a function in Inkscape that I, I I'm not aware of, and it's because I have to use it day in and day out constantly for various little things. Right. And like, we're sitting, we're sitting at your kitchen table. We're just talking. And, uh, and, and you, you and Angela were talking about how you can make a drawing off of a picture. Right. And I'm like, I can do that in Inkscape. I pull my That's laptop. True. You were like all over like, that. So like, I, I, I know how to use Inkscape. The problem is I work with other people and I want them to do something simpler. I want to, I want to, you know, get something out. And they look at Inkscape and they look at the tool set and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Right. So I asked an employee this week to, to do a very simple task and I needed it to be a vector graphic because I'm going to take it into Inkscape and do a bunch of more things with it. And so I, I gave it to him and he just, he just like blanked out. He had no idea. And he's, he's clicking around. I'm like, okay, I need a much more simple vector editing tool. And so I took a look at carbon and basically with carbon, and I mean this literally, if you can use MS paint, you can use carbon to make, uh, to draw things and make and things. You get a vector and as the you, output. You get a vector, you get an SVG. So I can then take that and do all sorts of crazy things, or I can email them to professional graphic designers to put them on, on big signs. And if you don't know what the advantage of a vector graphic is, it basically, it is, it memorizes paths. So you have, if I have a JPEG, if I blow that picture up at a certain point, it starts to become pixelated. You start to see grain, you start to lose quality with a vector graphic. I can, I can have it one pixel by one pixel, or I can blow it up to the size of the new, uh, the empire state building and it won't lose. It, it, one iota of quality. So uh, carbon, great, great way to get started in designing SVGs. Anyone can do it. It's like drawn with a pencil. Hmm. That's so cool. I had not. Okay. That is definitely worth checking out. Carbon. Collegra.org is where you go to probably find it, but it'd be easier to use the link in our show notes because it jumps down. That I'm looking at the screenshots. So it looks like just great for doing some quick diagramming too, dude. So if you just have like a little quick ne- network diagram you want to bang out, uh, this could be a super nice tool to do that. And then obviously if it's an SVG, you could take that to a whole nother suite of tools. So that is awesome. All right, Noah, I will admit it. You got me. You sold me on it and I want to check it out. That's really cool. Carbon. All right. So you heard Noah mention it. Uh, I did officially, I'm super excited. I got engaged uh, and I made a video out of it too, which was really great. That was crazy because I handed, well, I didn't <laughs> actually, uh, my lady and, and and a stranger just took the equipment from us. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like the, like I handed somebody my camera and my phone that I had she never just, met she, before. If you watch the video, like there's just they're walking by and there's like some like whatever homeless yeah. people like sitting on the street. And she's like, here, take his expensive camera. Take my phone so we can't call anyone if you run away. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, thankfully they didn't run away and they captured my engagement. And it's been part of uh, the YouTube series that I've been releasing all this week at YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher. Tomorrow, on Monday, is an episode of Noah and I behind the scenes producing a segment for the Linux Action Show. And then on Tuesday, it's a different format. It's I'm back. I'm no longer on a road trip. And it's a little bit behind the scenes of Jupiter Broadcasting creating content and a little more insight into my life. And uh, so far, it's been an interesting run. Tuesday is the last officially produced episode I've done. And uh, I, I don't even know what to say about the response. It's it's just been just been so phenomenal. Um, so thank you, everybody. And uh, if you want to check it out, youtube.com slash Chris Fisher. And uh, yeah, yeah, I got engaged. I'm really excited. And I'll probably make more videos about all of that stuff. And all of uh, Meet BSD, all of that's now been released. The, the Meet BSD experience was pretty interesting, too, seeing how the other half lives and all of that. Yeah, yeah. It has been... It has been. Um, I, I've never. I've never started a show. I've never started anything like this before, and gotten so much incredible response. Um, so, so thank you, everybody. Uh, and if you haven't seen it yet, YouTube.com/slash Chris Fisher. But with all the picks done, let's do the news. Chris is getting married, and this episode is brought to you by... Alas.ting.com. <laughs> if you want to say thanks to me, say thanks by going to our sponsors this week, Alas.ting.com. Also, go there to save $25 off your first device, or if you bring a device, $25 in service credits, GSM and that CDMA. Now, here in the States, we're all about the CDMA because we've got these hills and these trees and these amazing landscapes and this beautiful, untapped nature. So we like CDMA, but GSM, man, it is like that rash you can't get rid of. It is propping up everywhere in cities and all other kind of metro areas. So you might just have better luck with GSM. In fact, I pretty much, I think... With the exception I don't like of GSM. yeah, with I don't one I have GSM. one MiFi device on CDMA for road trips. I have one MiFi device, but I also have a GSM MiFi device. So I, I mm-hmm. what I do is six bucks a month is still cheaper than one line from all of the other providers. So I just have mm-hmm. two CDMA. I mean, I, I have one GSM and one CDMA. I have two MiFi devices that I just use as I go. See, this is what's great about Ting is just pay for what you use wireless. How freaking brilliant is that? Just your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. That's it. It's six bucks for your line. That's easy peasy. And then your usage on top of that. Oh, you got that Wi-Fi? Then you're good to go. Check them out. Last.ting.com. They also have crazy great customer service and the best control panel. Not to mention they never stand in the way of your updates. They don't play that game. You just get your device updated when you need it. And look at that. Look at that. Oh, speaking of saving some data, you can configure five popular apps to save on mobile data via the Ting blog. They got a video about it, but also, let's be honest, if you're Noah, you're Facebooking more than you should. They got tips on that, but also those of us on Netflix, like the offline downloads and all of that, they got tips on that. Snapchat, Google Maps, music apps, including Noah's favorite, Spotify. It's funny. Noah used a lot of cloud services and more. Just check them out at the tech... What? What? Just check them out. Just go over there. They got a great technology blog. In fact, they got a blog about all kinds of things, cord cutting and whatnot, but Start by going to last.ting.com. You can grab a SIM card, 
grab a phone, anything. And save data on all those cloud services that Noah uses. Last.ting.com. Let's have a challenge. <clears throat> Let's oh. go a month, like uh, like starting January 1st to January 31st. Neither one of us will use any sort of cloud services. Everything has to be local. The only thing we can use is a web browser to go. I, you know, I will, I will so, I will so dominate you. I would explodes first. I will so dominate you. That means no Dropbox. That means no, uh, you know, whatever, uh, Spotify. That hold means on. No okay, okay. All right. Well, hold on. S you, slow down. <laughs> All right. I don't know how you're going right. to play music. I don't know <laughs> how you're going to get your clip. <laughs> <I don't laughs> All right. Now. No Google <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Let's talk about the Dropbox because, like, that's not fair to unfilter. <laughs> that, that's oh, <laughs> oh, oh. I have to use cloud because I have important things, but no, just no, that, here's the problem is the problem is, is I'm working with a couple of different. Well, mostly producer Matt on unfilter and he's yeah. on Dropbox. Do they not have FedEx down in Texas? They don't sell thumb drives that you could put in the FedEx box and mail from one. Place I want to, to take you up on this challenge, but I also I don't want to handicap unfilter. So like, how do I how do I do this? Because like, I feel like if it's I don't know when you're so addicted to the cloud, it's pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, for me, the cloud is just kind of like a you know it's like a it's like a it's like a convenience thing. Like I don't really care about it one way or the other. Anything any any particular cloud service or all of them go away tomorrow. I'll be fine. I have local media. I even rip my YouTube videos. I got so, yeah, you do actually. You YouTube. I was I was like, hey Noah, you should watch this YouTube video. And he's like, oh yeah, well after I download my batch of YouTube videos using YouTube down yeah. DL and save it to my NAS, then I'll watch it. That's right. That's right. I just watched this clip, man. Just watch this clip. All right. <laughs> I am I am one hundred percent on board. The only problem is I don't want to handicap unfilter and producer Matt. So I gotta talk to Matt first and see if we can get like I don't know. I I I, I, I attached from the cloud. I don't know how to do that one. That's a tough one. I am I am really stuck there because that show is is a, is a freight train, and I I feel like even taking I, I don't be, know what to do there. Wouldn't it be more, more? Wouldn't it be more accurate to say it's a freight plane that flies? You know what? No, um, that was awful. No, that wasn't worth it. Here's what I'll say: If I could, if you did everything but a filter, I could do it. I, in fact, I think I could dominate you. I th the reason why I think I could dominate you is because, in whole, in my entirety, I believe I live in a more bandwidth restricted environment than you do, and so I have, by very nature, mastered the offline status. I can go for a week offline, except for unfilter. And news. Uh, well, I might be willing to grant you a reprieve on Unfilter. I feel like we should do it. I feel like that's a cop-out on my part. Because I, I, I'd still be running Dropbox on all my computers, so it's not enough. So I, I, I want to do this with you because I, like I, I feel like I could beat you, but I, I don't want to sacrifice the quality on, on Unfilter. I don't know what to do there. That's a good challenge, though, and I hate to turn down a good challenge. <laughs> Let's think about it more. Maybe we'll talk about it off air uh, or on air, but not in the show. I want to talk about Ubuntu, who um, this was a big deal. This was important enough that Mark Shuttleworth had to take to the keyboard and write up a big post. And so it's time for the Linux Action Show jump into this very serious topic that is <coughs> canonical taking an official stance against unofficial. That's right. An official stance. Against unofficial Ubuntu images. And, um, you know, we could get into a lot of different aspects of this, but I, I kind of want to talk about what con what's got Canonical pissed off 
And then maybe we could talk about where they're sort of off base a little bit, in my opinion. But so there's there's a couple things going on. Um, they're not they're not naming names in this post, which I, I can totally totally respect and understand. But <clears throat> I think our audience probably wants to know who they're talking about. I would guess. So uh, Mark Shuttleworth went to insights.upwind2.com and wrote up a post. And in this post, he talks about Canonical needing to take a very super official stance against unofficial Ubuntu images. And uh, he sort of implies that they're currently in a dispute with a European cloud provider, which has breached a contract and is publishing insecure broken images. And by imply, I mean that's exactly what he said. Um, (laughs) And uh, despite... They're back and forth. The homegrown images on this cloud and VPS are inherently insecure and likely to behave unpredictably on updates in wildly and creatively mysterious ways, Mark says. And you can find plenty of examples on the Internet. He says, in fact, Canonical hears about these issues all the time because users assume there is a problem with Ubuntu, not the cloud provider. And then there's that there's that really inconvenient problem where users expect that all things that claim to be Ubuntu are genuine and expect like a, they expect them for Ubuntu to behave like Ubuntu behaves. That's really vague and not exactly clear. I believe what Mark Shuttleworth is talking about is OVH, a European cloud hosting provider that offers VPSs that run Ubuntu and many other distributions. And the thing about the Ubuntu images is a custom kernel that doesn't update when you update your Ubuntu installation. And the problem with that obviously is the rest of the system is updating, expecting a newer version of the kernel, problem number one. Security updates are not being installed, problem number two. And problem number three, which I believe is really what's got Mark and the rest of Canonical truly pissed off, you can't use the new fancy live patch service. No live patch for you, even if you're on 16.04. You combine all of these things, unpredictable updates that will behave God knows how, what, 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 why. Security updates that are not getting applied, leaving your VPS completely vulnerable. And to have Canonical's name attached to that. And then you launch a new fancy schmancy live patch service which takes care of problems as fast as possible under Linux, and yet these systems on the internet can't take advantage of them. Now, I wouldn't necessarily even say this, except for looking at this post, Mark himself talks about patching systems in real time from the recent Dirty Cow vulnerability. Mm -hmm. In fact, he says one of the problems with this provider is that they can't use some of their new fancy services to to, to, to fix things like dirty cow, and he uses that as an example. So if this provider was shipping it called Debian Derivative, in fact, if they even called it number one popular Debian Derivative version 1604, they would not probably get Canonical pissed off. But because they're calling it Ubuntu 1604, or I think in this case it might be 1404, I'm not sure. Um, They're calling it Ubuntu, but they're not shipping Ubuntu. They're not shipping the kernel. They're not shipping the kernel that Canonical ships. Mm -hmm. It is not the same product, and they're calling it Ubuntu. So I, on, on the face of it, I agree with a lot of what Canonical's primary issue is. 
I want to stop here before we get into where I disagree, but I, and I want to, and I want to give you a chance to jump in. But so so far, well, <clears throat> I don't really have an issue with Mark Shuttleworth going to the internet and declaring this unnamed European provider as breaching the contract. I. So my understanding is, and I have worked with a lot of VPSs. I mean, I don't think there's a VPS out there I haven't at least tried. My understanding is that almost all of them use custom kernels. Really? So, yeah. In fact, we had, in fact, not a month ago, I just had a conversation with the guys that run our Mumble Room, which is running on DigitalOcean. And th there was a problem because when you updated the system, it knocks out this custom kernel or replaces it with a different kernel or whatever, but wasn't the one that DigitalOcean expected. And so uh, certain imaging things. Wouldn't I thought work that something was something like DigitalOcean started to stop doing like a year and a half ago. Well, it's, some, it's something that a conversation was occurring, you know, a couple months ago. I, I, and I, I, I'm not a developer. And so I, I haven't dove into it. So I, can't I just want to say I am. I am 100% against custom kernels that are not getting security fixes upstream. And it's one of the major issues I have with Android, too. So I think that's fair. I think that's legitimate. What, but I also understand that there is probably a, a there is probably a, a fundamental issue with trying to virtualize a, a bunch of these machines and have it work in very custom ways to provide, you know, like these private networking, all the services that VPS provides, the imaging stuff, the backups, all that. I if can't. you don't have some, no? No. No, this is why I code is GPL. This is why all of the virtualization, all of the hypervisor drivers, all of the device drivers, all of the snapshotting capabilities, all of the file system hooks, every mm -hmm. single thing about Linux virtualization is open sourced for a very intentional reason. And it is to prevent the forking of these individual distributions like this. That That's a fork. When you take a distribution well, and you roll your own custom yeah, kernel, that's a fork. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair enough. So, would you be okay, or would do you think Canonical would be okay if they simply called it, uh, you know, like if it's let, let's just so we don't pick on any particular VPS, let's call ABC VPS because I don't think they exist. Would you be okay if they called it Ubuntu ABC sixteen oh four? You know, so that it's their version of Ubuntu. Like Ubuntu has Ubuntu Mate. This is Ubuntu ABC well, VPS. So, um, that be okay? So, yeah, like I kind of opened up. It, it, this is part of the problem. Um, really, the issue that, like, Matthew Garrett points out is that they're not... Matthew Garrett points out several problems, and I want to get to there. And it's to get, this also... This also how how canonical enforces this really matters. So I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm saying all of this before we get to that part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. The IP policy from Canonical is super obvious in some ways and very obscure in others. And the ways that it is obvious is you can redistribute our works, just strip our name from it, strip our trademarks from it, strip the trademarks. And the way the Canonical IP license works is you, could, you have to follow all of the rules of the Canonical IP license unless... The GPL overrides it. And when the GPL overrides it, the GPL supersedes. So that's the way this works is you have a canonical IP license, which Matthew Garrett's super fucking bothered about. And then you have a canonical IP license, which recently, thanks to some work with the Software Freedom Conservancy, within the last year, they modified to say the GPL 
always supersedes the canonical IP license. So folks like Matthew Garrett, who have their panties up their ass about the canonical IP license while he's pointing out some important things, need to remember that that change, which was fought with and worked with with the Software Freedom Conservancy, has already been made. Mm -hmm. So all of this is within the context of the GNU, the GPL, the GPL takes precedence. However, Canonical's license very clearly states that if you're going to redistribute something based on their works, you have to remove all trademarks. And I believe Canonical would be much happier if you also rebuilt all of your binaries from their source and didn't redistribute their binaries. And this is where they're a little bit chicken shit about the clarity. They they kind of imply they don't want you to redistribute their binaries. But they don't come out and directly say that. And so they're kind of chicken shit about their stance on this because they know that the GPL is kind of going to come after them for this. And they know that it goes against the spirit of free software. But in reality, they're completely within their legal rights to say, don't distribute our binaries. You have to recompile from source. And if you are smart enough to build your own Ubuntu derivative, and you're smart enough to stand up a website to distribute this thing, and you are smart enough to set up a repo, and you are smart enough to set up download sites, and you are smart enough to set up checksums, then you should be smart enough to go through and strip the word Ubuntu from all of our source code when you rebuild your binaries. That's what Canonical's asking for. And when you fail to do that, and then you alter the Ubuntu distribution, then you are in clear violation. And that's what OVH is doing. They're taking something that is not Ubuntu and they're calling it Ubuntu. It's not Ubuntu. You know, and I actually, I, I actually got bit by this, not on, on Ubuntu, but on a different distro, we were installing a, 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 a server component. And for whatever reason, it just wouldn't work. And I could try it on bare metal, it wouldn't work. And this particular one was with Linode. Uh, and tried to put it on Linode and didn't work. And it turns out at the at the time, maybe it's changed now. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Linode was using a custom kernel. And mm -hmm. when I and I still have the support stuff because I had all this documented because I had to send it into the client. Um, they their answer was basically we have to use a custom kernel. And so even though it says it's Red Hat or CentOS, uh, it's not actually the same thing. It's just it's it's a little different. But it was enough to make our software not work. And it was as an end user and as somebody who had already sat through a conference and made promises to a client based on the fact that I thought, well, I tried it on CentOS on a computer sitting next yeah. to me and it works. Why wouldn't it work if I use CentOS on their computer? It's the same software. It's not the same software. So I do see where you're coming from. Well, and I just did a little research, you know, just some basic, like, now I'm not even going to call it journalism, but it's like pretending to be journalism. And uh, mm -hmm. I, just, I just spent 45 minutes searching the web and I... I read horror story after horror story after how do I, after could you help me, after, hey, I've got a question on how do I get my OVH rig on the latest Ubuntu kernel because XYZ is not working. And the internet, if you search right, is full of them. It is full of them. And so if these guys over at OVH had taken 30 seconds to think about this, and it called it OVH's Debian derivative that is very possible, 1604, or the, I'm sorry, that is very mm -hmm. popular, 1604. I bet you Canonical would never have given two shits about it because I know mm -hmm. that there are other vendors out there that are in violation of some of these basic license agreements that Canonical is not going after simply because it's not worth their time and energy. There is a certain threshold, the, a certain amount of aggression that the person or the company must first reach because I know of people out there that are not also 
following the IP license of Canonical, and Mark Shuttleworth isn't making blog posts about it. There yeah. is a certain level of fucking over the customer that happens. That uh, at a certain point, Canonical has to go. Well, what the hell? Like we've got to do something here. And every time mm -hmm. Canonical makes a move, every time Canonical does something like this, there are blog posts that go up about how they are anti-Linux and they are anti-freedom. Meanwhile, if this was a Red Hat Enterprise instance, mm -hmm. and they were doing this, we wouldn't spend two seconds thinking about this. Look at Scientific Linux. Look at CentOS. Look at the lengths that Scientific Linux goes to to make sure that they are not re-labeling and reshipping Red Hat branded packages. They rebuild everything from source. The mm -hmm. only time you will ever see a mention to Red Hat in Scientific Linux is in the change logs, where they are not claiming to be Red Hat, but they are simply referencing the upstream distribution making the change. Scientific Linux and CentOS figured this out years ago. And they, for the most part, are shipping exactly, exactly what Red Hat is shipping. Meanwhile, OVH has the nuts because they don't have a sufficiently good virtualization infrastructure to ship a piece of software. Mm. Really, dude? Really? If you have no, to... Okay, so here, nah, here, here, I, here, I, I draw the line there. I'll, I'll give you that I'll give you that they, they are cutting some corners, and I'll give you that they, <laughs> they shouldn't be selling... I'll give you that they shouldn't be selling it as a bunch of... But I got to tell you, as a, pers as, as a person that runs his business on a lot of virtualized stuff, all of my long-term stuff, like the things that I don't want to touch and I just want to set it up and forget it, is on OVH because it is so much cheaper. It is, it's ridiculously cheap and because it's subsidized by the Canadian government. And so, and, and so yes, they... Yeah, they it's subsidized. Subsidized by the Canadian government sounds like a nice Things marketing line. It's subsidized by bad practices, well, cutting well, yes. corners, and not having a good virtualization infrastructure. Well, it, That's what it's it subsidized is. by. You it can is. tell yourself, Mr. Mr. Conservative, you can tell yourself it's subsidized by the government. But the reality is it's subsidized, yes. it's subsidized by bad government. Canadian government to run their business. And That's they also is. happen to cut corners. It's obvious. You're, they, they have do. Debian. They do. Yes, dude, they, they currently have but, Debian machines with 2.x kernels. 2.x kernels are shipping on OVH systems. Right. That's that is unacceptable. It's cutting corners. I don't I care if they're getting a, ke a check from the government. That doesn't excuse well, bad network practices. In fact, if anything, it makes bad network practices even more unforgivable. Right. Because if you've got money coming in from the customers and you got money coming in from the taxpayers, then why the Very hell can't money. I run a current kernel? Why the hell isn't my yeah. infrastructure secure? This is government subsidized oh. internet insecurity at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. The, the the point of pointing out the subsidy was to talk about why why the the services offered cheap. But I have, I, I mean, I don't run Ubuntu on them. I run CentOS because I like the usable server distro. But uh, I have, Ouch. but I, I've never had, a, I have never had a problem. And in fact, I, the exact same problem that I was referencing before on Linode is running on OVH, and I have not had any issues. Kernel works perfectly fine on there. So the, so I I I can't agree with. The fact that they they have a poor virtualization infrastructure, I think it works very very well. I think the service that they provide, you very much get a you, a good bang for your buck. I agree that there are some areas that they need to improve on, but I also don't think that that having uh, different kernels is specific to OVH. I think that a lot, if not all, of VPSs are doing that, and so I think it's a little unfair to criticize them specifically. Well, it. there is a difference. There is a channel to work with the upstream vendors. Wouldn't you do that? There is a, there is an in place mechanism to facilitate that, and it does cost between a dollar and two dollars 
per instance for in, in the case of okay. Canonical. It's more for Red Hat. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. if, if OVH was willing to pay a dollar per instance, they could have official patched technical channels with Canonical. This is my understanding. Mm-hmm. And sure. be running something that's still getting backported security fixes and still have their cake. But they just mm-hmm. don't want to charge that extra dollar per month. Yeah, that, that's fair. So I guess if you're looking for a bottom dollar VPS kind of a thing, then that's the kind of, that's the price you pay to have that. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if security and old kernels and all that shit doesn't matter, then and not to mention being a bad citizen of the Linux ecosystem. <laughs> but I mean, to me, like that's that's it. That's it. That's that's like that's that's like Lenovo shipping pre-signed SSL certificates that allow them to browse all to capture all of your traffic. That is a line that is crossed that is unforgivable. I mean, I mean you might be. I, I'll grant you the lot of providers do this, and they all should stop. So I yeah. don't want to make this just an OVH thing. I guess I should say that. I don't. I've never used OVH. I, I I actually looked at their site this weekend and it was super confusing. Too much going on. They have no. Okay. Really? So do you want have, me to bring it up right now? Have, yeah, I'll, bring it up. There are there are two different things you can do. You can do the SSD package or you can do the spinning hard drive package. And then there are three different uh, okay. uh, things within. So it. we started their website. Like, There's wow. already a lot wow. of shit going on on this website. There's a lot going wow. on here. The first thing I see wow. right here in the middle is something about SQL Server 2016. Should I click on that, yeah. Noah? Yeah. Oh, you should uh, click on cloud because you want a cloud VPS. So right? I click on cloud. Okay, then this JavaScript wow. thing drops down, and then I see something go. about thirty dollars a month. Right? So I click on that. Click on 30... VPS. Oh, no, VPS. Click, but you, well, it depends. VPS. That's what you want, right? Okay, and then I go they SSD. Offer a lot of services. Okay, SSD. Yeah. So, so from yeah, so from here you could go to their SSD package, or you could do their their spinning Rust package. So I can get one, two, and three, and mm-hmm. uh, so let's go. go with this one for seven bucks a month. This seems pretty reasonable. Uh, okay, so. Where do I? Okay, so Debian is my distro. This is this is so much more. Com- if this was, I mean, I know DigitalOcean's a sponsor, obviously, but if this was DigitalOcean, my server would already be spun up and running. No, and here's and here's here's the thing. Uh, do credit where it's due to DigitalOcean. I don't use. Oh, so a couple things. One is yes, their dashboard is not as intuitive as DigitalOcean, and two, there is absolutely no question that that DigitalOcean is faster. When you go to spin up a server, you think this is bad. Wait till you actually click on it and wait till the server comes up. But when you can get your cost down from twenty or thirty dollars a month down to yeah. three. Or yeah, five, I agree. But, so you see here in the selector, if they just change the di- if here in the distribution dropdown, if OVH just took the fifteen seconds to change that from Ubuntu to popular Debian derivative, right. problem solved. That's all. I mean, really, I believe like if they'd done that from the beginning, Mark <laughs> Shuttleworth wouldn't be blogging about why this is such a horrible thing and the, and the, the Ubuntu oh. is po- important in the cloud. Do you think they could include the name Ubuntu in it? Simply because no, no, marketing? No. No, not at all. Do you see Red Hat in that list? No, no, but the, here's the problem. The problem is that if there was a binary identical version of Ubuntu that was available for people to do with what, what they wish, that would be one thing. The problem is that if you call it number one Ubuntu or Debian derivative, that is super confusing to people. Yeah. Everyone knows. People so what in, you're in, saying in that zone know that CentOS is the same as Red Hat. So what you're saying is that one of Noah's 2017 predictions is that a CentOS-like derivative of Ubuntu is going to crop up that is totally rebuilt no. and removed no. of all branding? No, I don't think- 
No, I don't think so. I think, I think honestly, I think what's going to happen is one of two things. I think most likely that uh, VPS uh, VPSs are eventually going to start working with uh, distros to make sure that they can get it to work on their, their virtual infrastructure. That includes OVH as well as anyone else that's doing it. That's what I think the most likely thing. Second most likely thing is that you're going to come up with a, an Ubuntu derivative that is specifically for VPS providers. And I don't know what that's called. Yeah, or how I would that works be really curious to see if that happens. Uh, point number two. Point number one, that already exists. And and it just uh, this is what this is what's inexcusable to me a dollar a dollar per VPS maybe that sounds like a lot but Canonical's a company and they got to make a profit and they've made a product and these and these VPSs they want to make their business off the back of these other guys' product I understand sure. that the code's all GPL'd but at the end of the day if you want to call it Ubuntu and you want to make money because it's called Ubuntu. Then pay the buck, and then you pay the you pay the buck, and you get access to support. You get access to people that know what the products are doing and can make them work on your infrastructure, and you get official updates. Pay the dollar, or don't pay, or don't pay the dollar, but then call it something else. It. Call it something which, else. By the way, which by the way, if I'm being completely honest, is the route that I would probably wind up on. Especially Kinda, things that aren't. Important. Why not? Like if you can run a four dollar a month or a three dollar a month, okay, fine. And if it's called something called like popular Debian derivative. Great. Do it. Exactly. It, and, you know, it, it, like, it depends on what you're doing. Certainly, if I have, like, my company's web server or our ticketing system or something like that, obviously, we're not going to run that. But when I have, like, when I'm testing own cloud or something, you know, for a week or for a month or whatever, do I really care if it's the absolute? It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. So stuff like that, sure. I, there are, I think there are definitely appropriate uses for stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, but call it something else. I agree. All right. All right. So we're basically in agreement then. Right? More or less. All right, moving on. Uh, this is not strictly <laughs> Linux related, but I know it applies to a bunch of you that I've met in person, so I imagine it applies to probably a, a good amount of people's relevant interest. Fitbit is buying out Pebble for around, we guess, $40 million, and they are shutting down Pebble afterwards. That sucks. No more Pebble. No That's more Pebble, yeah. And Fitbit also is getting very serious about this whole like competing with the Apple Watch thing, which is great. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Pebble's official Twitter account uh, seems to kind of confirm the news by not only tweeting something awkward, but then by deleting that tweet, <laughs> which just adds a lot of fire to the speculation. Let's there give it a- so many. There was so many cool things about the Pebble. Like, I just, I really am going to miss that as a pride. I never owned one. Um, I've played with them a couple times, but the fact that it started from, uh, you know, a Kickstarter and actually was one of the few, like, su- successful Kickstarters to actually take off, to actually produce a product that people actually liked, the way that they did, like, the timeline on the Pebble where it would scroll all the way through, which, you know, totally beat the way that my glass did things. There was a lot of things I really liked about it. And the fact that because it was started by a lot of the same people that were in the, the, the do-it-yourself, in the, the open source community. There was a lot of stuff that was written that clearly worked very well with the Pebble. Now we just lost all that. Yeah, and the and the like the multi-day battery life with sleep tracking was so nice. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of uh, crowdfunded projects, Mycroft has an update. And um, it seems like an update that kind of admits that they haven't been updating us properly. He says, yeah. uh, this, I mean, and, and, and full disclosure, uh, Steve here is being very, very honest. He says, before I blather on, I'll get on to what many are most interested in, the hardware shipping updates. I'm a Mycroft backer, so I am I am interested in this. He says, as I mentioned in my last post, we've hit a bumpy patch getting the custom circuit boards for the Mycroft Mark I manufactured. 
On September 2nd, we learned that the quoted three-week pre-production run would be done in four weeks. That was to give us the 10 first article boards to assemble and thoroughly test so we could okay the production run. Somehow, the board housed, produced a six-month-old design instead of the final one that we had provided them, resulting in a useless batch. Next, they told us newly unavailable components, so we overnighted them from our office, and then they incorrectly installed them and aligned them, which we caught in some of our reviews. And then they incorrectly uh, installed the wrong resistor chip substitutions, which we also caught during our reviews. Then they'd also confess that the physical build has been more challenging than they expected when they quoted us our first price. (laughs) However, as of Friday night, we believe the boards are built and designed, and the first 10 articles are being overnight shipped to us for our testing. Yikes, sounds like some major manufacturing issues. Minecraft will soon be available as a pre-built Raspberry Pi 3 image as well. So those of you that have a Raspberry Pi 3, like myself and Noah, you'll be able to install this on there. The new backend they've been working on quietly has been emerging from beta, making the configuration management of multiple devices simple. And they're forming partnerships to get Minecraft onto laptops, desktops, and other devices around the world. So Minecraft could soon be speaking to you throughout your day. However, right now, initial runs, not so good. Not so good, Noah. Seems like, seems like the Minecraft project is running into a lot of the issues that many, many crowdfunding projects run into. That is not surprising at all. This is actually the reason I will never, ever, ever in the rest of my life ever back a crowdfunded technology project ever again. I'll no do way. crowdfunded books and I'll do stuff. Yeah, be, and here's why. Because by the time... All of this stuff gets worked out. The product that ends up getting to me is outdated. And I just, uh, it, I just, I'm not going to do it. If you can, if you want to go and make a product, go make a product. And when it's available, if I like it, I'll buy it. I am no longer going to buy technology stuff ahead of time because it, I've just been burned too many times. I was just having a conversation with Rakai last night, how I got burned on the coin, all the uh, credit cards in one thing. It just never works out. Nope. I'm, I'm just done. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, no. I'm sorry about the coin thing. Hey, you know what I'm? You know what I'm super excited about? Uh, I know that you just recently gotten into Plex, so you may like this story. Plex for Cody. We've often talked about using MB as a backend to your Cody multimedia interface. Well, now Plex has it announced their official freaking add-on for Cody, and it uses their own overlay and your Plex backend. But it uses the Kodi player, so you can play over your file shares. It uses the Kodi decoder, so you don't have to necessarily remote decode. You can just play back the native file format. Uh, This, for a lot of you out there, is going to be the perfect mix of Kodi and Plex. What do you think, Noah? As somebody who's... I know that you were kind of not a big Plex fan until recently, and you kind of dumped... Uh, Now, here's here's, here's essentially what it is. is I don't like non-local stuff. I don't like... cloudy stuff, service-based stuff, whatever. But the thing is, if I treat it like I treat all of my cloud stuff, which is I can take it or leave it. I don't really care if it's there or not. I'll just use it as a convenience thing. And that's basically what Rakai set up for me. He he jiggered it so that like I can I just I open my laptop and I click on a button and now I can watch the 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 shows. Although I was told to not do that during live streaming. Uh and I, I, I just, <laughs> good boy Rakai. <laughs> No, nobody, nobody mentioned that to me the first time. But uh, so oh, said, really? Were you anyway, screwing with one yeah. of my shows? Were you? Were you? Were you screwing with the show? I didn't, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know. No, we nobody show. mentioned. Show. That. I, I should have thought of it. It should have been obvious, but I don't know. I don't remember. All I know is like later that night, I get a message from a guy, and he's like, "So, 
you weren't by chance watching Plex today. And I'm like, well, sure. I was, I was stuck in an airport for 13 hours. He's like, yeah, don't do that when they're on, when he's on the air. And I'm like, oh, oops. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, as, as like that, as like a Netflix that has like tailored content based on the stuff that Rakai picks out and puts on there for me. I like it. I know. It's, really it's great. It's it's super nice for the for the social aspect. And so it's really great mm. to be able to pull it in to an open source, totally awesome media front end. And I really, really, really hope, and this is when I'm going to decide to switch. I am so close. I really want to do this because the QNAP has a built-in Plex server that's like just set it and forget mm -hmm. it, and it just gets updates from QNAP, and it's like super mm -hmm. easy. But I'm going to wait and see if this thing supports Cody 17, because Cody 17 is a game changer. And right now they got support for Cody 0.16. So we'll see. We'll see if they, if they, if they support the next version. So I'm going to wait for the next version of Cody to come out. And if the Plex add-on is, you know, within 30 days of, of coming out after the new version of Cody, I think I'm going to jump on it. Otherwise I'm going Envy. So I'm, I'm just sitting back and waiting to see what happens. Speaking of sitting back and waiting to see what happens, our uh, Linux cousin, our, our, our ancestor, if you will, uh, Solaris, might be done. Now, this is 100%. Don't believe this. Don't repeat this to anybody. Don't cite the Linux Action Show. This is... This is CNN Breaking News. Yeah, that's right. This is this is like uh, this is like full on Wolf Blitzer level news here. We don't really know if this is happening, but it appears that Oracle has announced a layoff of fifty percent of their Solaris team, and there will be no Solaris twelve. The final release of Solaris will be eleven point four. The orders are coming directly from Larry Ellison, and we don't have full timing yet. I don't know if this is true or not. Like I said, this is CNN-level news, so don't believe it. But it is very possible that we are about to witness the end of Solaris. I got my start in Unix with Solaris. It was like this really big hands-off thing that Chris wasn't allowed to touch, so of course I fucked around with it all the time, but I wasn't supposed to. But they were, they were these two giant multi-thousand dollar printers starting in the 20,000s and uh, they printed all of the uh, statement reports for all of the um, customers of this bank so when you got a statement in the mail it came from these Solaris printers and I was screwing around with it <laughs> and uh, Solaris was the first time I experienced CDE which reminded me a lot of future desktops Solaris was the first time I got to screw around with cups I believe or 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 no 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 LPD I think it was LPD uh, but it, Solaris for me uh, was sort of my first introduction into this entire area so it's sort of amazing. And obviously the birthplace of ZFS and other things. So it's just sort of amazing to see this possibly coming to an end now. Uh, you don't have much to say. Have you mussed around with Solaris? Have you have you screwed around with it much? Got have you you got all your uh you got all your Apache servers set up in zones, Noah? I uh I greet you, person from the past. Your ways are quaint. <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, yeah. The uh Solaris has a little bit before uh, that's that's a little bit before Noah's time. So uh I have uh, no experience whatsoever with Solaris. Really? Although, You're actually, here, here I'll tell you what, here's the closest, here's the closest I have to experience with Solaris. My, my, uh, Red Hat five class, I think it was, we, I was, I sat down and there was this really annoying guy that was in the, that was in the front row and he walks in and sits down and he's like, I'm a Solaris guy. So, uh, 
I have a lot of experience with this stuff. And like all the rest of us are just kind of sitting. He's like, what are we going over the first day? And the guy like goes over the table content. He's like, that's basically Sam Slayer. So I got this. And like turns around and leaves and then comes back on Tuesday. And like the whole time, like, kind of like darted. <laughs> what it's, a dick. It's like a 27. I know it's like a $2,700 class. And the guy's like, just he's a total dick. Like that. And then I was like, huh? So that's what Solaris guys are like, huh? And that's my experience. That's the extent of my experience. So you've never ran like into that. an old client that has like a bunch of like big printers or. Okay. Nope. All right. Well, nope. that's good. That's good. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go connect to the internet. I'm going to maybe okay. find a decent BBS with a good community. I'm going to download the latest news and shareware. And, uh, yeah, that's all the news for this week. It's probably the most important. Chris got married, and that's not the main segment, but, yeah, sorry. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> you mean engaged. We're going to talk about Linux distros. Yeah, you mean engaged. I have not gotten yeah. married yet. <laughs> all right. We're going to talk about the most important Linux question ever. How to pick the best distro. How do you pick the right distro? How do you know which distro is right for you? And that's why it was so important that both Noah and I put on headphones. Not because our hearing's going out. No, not because of because of that at all. Not because we feel like old men, but because we wanted to hear everything we had to say for this episode. Right, Noah? Absolutely. Yeah. What? What? No. What? Huh? 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 Oh, Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to learn more and sign up for a seven-day free trial. When I say learn more, what do I mean? I mean learn more about Linux, right? Right? I love learning about Linux. Right? LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to learn more about anything. The itty-bitty, nitty-ditty, dirty details of Linux. You know, those dirty details your grandma wouldn't tell you about, all the way up to the high-end stuff that Microsoft's breaking about all the time. And AWS, Azure, all that good stuff like OpenStack. They got a core schedule that allows you to pick a time frame and stick to it that matches your schedule. They got video courses. Oh, I love those video courses. Oh, yeah, they got labs, which give you hands-on experience, sort of help that quiz anxiety. And real human beings when you need them. They got instructor mentoring. Check them out. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Anything we've ever talked about and so much more. It's a platform that's not just like, well, let's make sure we get some Linux courses in there because the open source is popular. No. It's created by a Linux enthusiast for Linux enthusiasts. They got together with educators, developers, people that are crazy passionate about Linux, and they created the Linux Academy platform. Go there right now and check it out. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Woo! Seven-day free trial is crazy. And now, also, they got more and more courseware on information security, which is becoming a massive moneymaker. So go get trained up. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring... Linux Action Show, linuxacademy.com, slash unplugged. Okay, time out, time out. Don't say anything. Stop, time out. Full, full stop. Chris and I are going to give you our own opinions about this, and they are probably going to vary drastically, and so we're probably going to have a lot of discussion, and some people might even think that sounds like we're arguing, <laughs> but I love Chris, and Chris loves me. I do, Brown Bear, I love you. And at the end of the day, we have to do a show, yeah. and somebody has to be in control of that show. Right. And so somebody has 10 years of experience more than the other guy, so we're going to let that guy 
control the show, and then we're going to do a segment. And that's what we're going to do. You know, And so just so we're all clear ahead of this time, just so we're all clear ahead of this, this is going to be a very, very intense segment, I think. Okay. okay. All right. So all how right. do you pick the right Linux distribution? And I, um, you know, I will, I will admit, we get this question a lot, and I thought it was a stupid question. I thought it was an obvious question. I thought it wasn't worth talking about. And then we did the uh, Linux how-to series, and we wanted to document Chase's switch to Linux. And I watched a very technically astute, I mean, he works in IT. His day job is tech support. He's all in all the time. He is very current on all tech news. He really understands Windows. He can make a Windows box do things you never thought were possible. He can make a Mac do things you never thought were possible. He just hasn't spent a lot of time learning Linux. And when he sat down and wanted to learn Linux, he got hung up on which distribution to choose. And I never thought that would be a thing. I thought it was so obvious. It was so obvious. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I will admit, we get it all the time into the show. In fact, Skyboard13 submitted it to the uh, subreddit two days ago. He says, ever since my upgrade to Ubuntu 16.04 to 16.10 and it borked my laptop, I've been distro hopping like crazy. After the last rebuild today, I have to ask, how in the devil do you decide on a distro to actually stick with? I've been using Ubuntu, Ubuntu Mate, Solus, Elementary, Fedora, OpenSUSE, Anagros, but I can't seem to pick on or stick with one for more than just a few weeks. Am I totally insane? And now this is a question that we get in different forms for a lot. And Noah and I have spent a long, long, long time distro hopping. And then I landed on Ubuntu for many years. I stayed there. I claimed it was the best. And then I eventually switched to Arch. And I've been there for mm -hmm. many years. However, both Ubuntu 16.10 and Fedora 25 have been pulling my attention in different directions. And so it feels like after all of these years of feeling very firm in my distro choice, I am once again back trying to choose which distro is best for me. So how do we pick the best distro, Noah? Uh, and, and, and is it something that's super personal per person, or are there general laws that we could apply? So everything that we're going to say is personal opinion, but I divide users into four categories. I divide them into regular desktop users. These are the people that just use their desktop like they would if they purchased a MacBook or a Windows computer. There is server users, which are people that on to install Linux on a server. There are power users, which are people like you and me and Rakai, that we could use Linux like a desktop user, but we want to, we want to push the envelope a little bit. And then we have, uh, actually, uh, two more, development users, which are people that want to develop on Linux, and so they're using it for their job, and what I call specialty distro users. So these are people that use a specific distro to do a specific job or because it works in a specific way for them. Yeah. You know, on, on TechSnap, I hear a lot from the sysadmins that are running Linux because that's what they run on their servers. And on Coda Radio, I hear a lot from the guys that are running Linux because that's what they're developing for. And on this show, mm -hmm. we hear a lot from folks, and I don't unplug too, we hear a lot from folks that are just running Linux for many reasons, but mostly because they want to. And, and, and it, is, it is really hard to put people in a box. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to be like, I hate it when distributions like stand up and they're like, 
New user, you want these things, and we will build distributions for you. And it's like this totally mythological, fake new user that doesn't actually exist. And so we're always talking about, well, new users need easy-to-install packages, and new users need easy-to-do, and it's bullshit. Like, there's not one particular user. So I disagree. No, that's not that. See, and this is where it starts. I see them every day. I see people that have that they just want to use their computer. I give you a perfect example. I'm working over at a hotel right now, and we just switched. We ripped all their Windows machines out. We put Linux boxes in, and their reservation system is all web-based. So all you would think all they have to do is find the Chrome button, and then everything should work like it did. Or Windows, Firefox. And you'd be or well, they use actually. Interestingly enough, go ahead and gloat, but the uh, reservation software requires Chrome. Uh, we, you would think that I would never get a uh, a trouble call from them because it's the exact same thing, right? And yet, everything, every little difference from from the fact that global menus don't show up and so they can't find the edit menu sometimes, all the way down to the print dialog is different and so they they can't figure out how to print to a PDF. Little things like that trip them up. And so, yes, having if I were to put something like Antergos in and it, for example, didn't come with Samba sharing by default. I would get a trouble call for that, whereas that comes packaged with Ubuntu. And yeah. so, yes, there are definitely things that make Ubuntu more tailored towards sure. a first-time and, user. And, and, and if you were right, if you were right, then Xandros would be the number one business desktop because it's, it was based mm -hmm. on Debian Stable. It, com, it came mm -hmm. out of the box with Active Directory integration. Xandros mm -hmm. came out of the box literally with the ability to open Microsoft Office documents. If you put a Windows CD-ROM to install Windows software into a Xandros Linux computer, it would automatically run the autorun.exe and batch file, and it would actually start a Wine installation. It would detect the executables on that CD-ROM, it would start Wine, and it would run you through the installation wizard as if you had put that on a Windows box. Xandros gave you a start menu. Xandros gave you total Windows integration. Xandros gave you even the auto run off the CD-ROM. And I, 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 the reason why I, I mention this is because if that is truly what it took to win the Linux desktop, then Xandros wouldn't be a dead product right now. See, the thing was... And if, is, and if it wasn't for marketing, I would agree with you. But I think Canonical nailed the marketing way back when they first started. Linux for human that's beings. Like, and they pushed that narrative. Uh, that's like saying that the only reason people buy Apple products is because marketing, which is a total fanboy that bullshit. That is the only reason people buy Apple no, products. That's, that that's, that's, a, that's a comforting narrative that people tell themselves to downplay the actual competitive advantages of a product. It is – there is – No. Canonical <laughs> – turns out, has made a competitive product. And here's what it is. Mm -hmm. You can run the same software on your laptop, on your desktop, on your Raspberry Pi, and on your cloud server. And there's no special $1,000 license you have to buy to get patches. You pay 100 bucks and you get support. It's the same thing. It gets updated on a reliable basis, and they use modern packages. That's why people no. choose Ubuntu. It's not because it's the no, it's easy... Not. Really? No, it's not. It's not. No, it's not. And and it may be why people choose Ubuntu today. It is not why Ubuntu rose to prominence. It's not really? why Ubuntu was the most popular. Girlfriend, because, and here's what? why. And here's, and here's why. Back when Ubuntu started up, we had way more SUS deployments and Red Hat and CentOS deployments on servers. It wasn't until people started using Ubuntu on the desktop first and then said, oh, I could just run this on a server. Yeah. And so then Ubuntu no. rose to prominence on the server. 
I believe I, I here's why I think wait. you're wrong. I think I think the reason why Ubuntu took off on the server is because it's a better Debian. Debian could have been the number one server distribution yep. because Apt was better. The package management system was, I mean, just like their philosophy of in, in, in introducing packages. Their update philosophy mm-hmm. is better. Their community is better. Their management infrastructure is better. I think Debian could have been the number one server slash cloud um, I agree. Linux installation. It's yep. just that what Canonical offered was mm-hmm. every six months you're going to get a new Linux you're going to get the best mm-hmm. apps on Linux, and we're going to try to update it every single six months. And then mm-hmm. after that, we discovered, you know what I kind of like? I kind of like everything about that six-month cycle except for the six months. So if you could go multiple years, and if you could call it like the long version of your distro, I would like that. I would like right. a longer version. Yep. And then we got LTS. And then yep. all of a sudden, the cloud took off for Ubuntu. It's not because mm-hmm. – it's not – the reason Ubuntu took off on the cloud is not because they made it easy to install codecs. It's because they did a better Debian. So you can you can make I, all I these you can that. make all these retro history examples about OpenSUSE and about Red Hat, but the reality is it's simply that they did a better Debian, and that's why it took I, I off agree. on the cloud. I I agree with you that that's why it it rose to prominence ahead of Debian. I don't agree that people would have used Ubuntu to begin with on the desktop or the server if it didn't have competitive advantages as a desktop no. operating system. First, completely disagree. And the reason why I disagree is I'm coming from a background of Netware, and in Netware, mm-hmm. you, you see, you see where <clears throat> here's the thing, Noah. Back in the day. Servers were looked at as something different than than the desktops. Um, the desktops were like these toys. They were Mattel inside mm-hmm. toys. They were not real computers. And then you had servers. You had Unix-based servers. These were real systems. These were actual mm-hmm. computers. The desktop the workhorses. was a joke. And so you have to look at it from that. You have to come at it from that perspective. There was... Canonical, canonical having, canonical having a decent desktop that people liked, did not matter mm-hmm. until Canonical also had a huge cloud presence. The thing is, and the reality is, and none of us like to say it because we all sound like we're like Mac fanboys when we say this. But the reality is, when Canonical announced Unity, we lost a shit ton of Linux users. We lost we lost so many Linux users to Mac OS. It was it was when it was when Apple was in their peak, they announced this great Unix-based OS with a GUI and everybody thought, "Well, that sounds brilliant." Canonical announced Unity, which was this crazy fork. And it was like, "You know what? Screw that. I'm going to switch over to this." And I'll and people in droves switched. They 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 bailed. And it wasn't because you could you could install this really subpar desktop experience and also installed on your server. It's only been since the most recent Unity releases that the Unity desktop is a competitive desktop. So if you come at me and you tell me that the reason that Ubuntu's done great on the cloud is because they have a desktop installation, that is so much bullshit. That is fanboy bullshit. That is fanboy bullshit is what that is. No, because they had people. It's not necessarily that they had a great desktop distribution. I think they did, but because a lot of the people that wanted to go to Linux found it easiest to adopt Linux through Ubuntu, and because no. those people no. were already comfortable no. in Ubuntu, no. they went to the. Oh, well, we can agree. So to wrong. Because here's what I'll tell you: what 
Canonical did more for fucking over the Linux desktop with Unity than any distribution has ever done in the history of Linux. Yeah, but the, but the, but the migration to Ubuntu happened long before Unity. Long before Unity. And and the you had a total and, and arbitrage. And the rise of Ubuntu to servers this, happened before this Unity. Is a, the, I mean, it's a very it's a very cute and convenient analogy, but the numbers don't work out. There are there are there are um hundreds of thousands maybe there are there are hundreds of millions okay deployments of ubuntu server and there are mm-hmm. there are tens of millions of deployments of ubuntu desktop the numbers do not in no, any way oh, line up no 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 and i'll tell you why that is and i'll t- like to explain perfectly why that is here's here's why that is you have the you have the first 100 people and they started on the ubuntu desktop they got comfortable they moved up to uh, to ubuntu server like yeah. i'm suggesting yeah. and then what happens is people write their applications and optimize them for ubuntu and so they write guides on how to do it on ubuntu so then the next 1000 people come along and they say i want to run X, uh, plex or whatever right well what do you run plex on well here's a guide for how to do it on ubuntu well why was that guide written for ubuntu well because the first guy that did it did it on ubuntu server why did that guy do it on ubuntu server well because he played with it on his ubuntu desktop first so i think that i, I think hmm. there's a perfectly logical explanation to okay. why okay why those numbers are are off. All right. I'll, I'll, I mean, I, I'll accept that's that sounds pretty reasonable. Uh, and I don't I still disagree with you, but I think that's yeah, that's I think it's probably there's I think there's actually a pretty happy medium in there. So uh, when it comes to the desktop, though, because that's what this post is talking about. Right. What do you use? What criteria do you judge a distro by? To pick which one is qualified. Is it application availability? Is it community support? Is it server deployment? Is it what's going to make me money? I mean, those are all very valid reasons. What what do you use? Because I have a feeling it's different than what I use as a criteria. So I... So I, I think you, I think you kind of alluded to, or maybe even just outright said that you didn't really agree with my my class, classification, or didn't like the fact that there were classifications. But I'm going to go back to my classification. Say that if we're talking about desktops, we're left with power users, desktop users, and 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 uh, and specialty distro users. So if it's a if it's a just a plain Jane desktop, I just I want to get on the internet, browse the internet, write some emails, type some documents. I'm yeah. going to say Ubuntu all day long. And I think that in and before you agree or disagree with me. I would ask you to consider what distro you chose to put in the clinic just a couple weeks ago when we were doing it. Yeah, I agree. And uh, so this is this. That's a great point. Um, <clears throat> I decided that for Hadia, we should uh, for her acupuncture clinic, which I'll have a video on soon. I, I, I really believe that Ubuntu 1610 with Unity was the best choice. And the reason, oh. huh? We what? did a four. Yeah. Oh, did I, did I say sixteen ten? Oh, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, oh. Unity oh. desktop. <laughs> I, I, what I really meant is the Unity desktop. Unity seven, yeah. Unity seven yeah. desktop. Because for her coming, here's something. Here's a little insight I've learned. If you're going to switch people to Linux, impress them, wow them just a little yeah. bit somewhere you can. And so for her, I knew that eventually she wants to go to a full touch interface. She wants to go touch mm-hmm. so that with they're, they're they're entering mm-hmm. records as a patient is standing mm-hmm. five feet from them. They're entering rec- okay and uh, yeah okay your dick doesn't work okay yeah good enter right. So you want to have something that impresses them when they're doing this. And so for her she's talking about touch interface. And I wanted to have something that looked like even though she wasn't ready to go touch today, I wanted something that when she looked at the screen to her it was obvious how it would translate to touch. 
And so for her mm-hmm. and her employees, Unity really, really did that because you could look at Unity and it was obvious. Even though today I'm clicking on that icon, tomorrow I'll be touching it. And right. that was something that was really kind of like the uh, two things. You're not – in fact, this is probably more important than 1604. You're not going to have to upgrade this for a few years because she was coming from Windows 7. So that was a nice that was a nice feature. You're not going to have to upgrade this for a few years, and it's going to obviously translate to touch. However, I'll tell you. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to uh, uh, dovetail onto that. One of the things that uh, happened, you know, a couple of days after you got this installed, was her printer didn't work, and so she she sent me a uh, a telegram said, "Could you look at this?" I directed her to to uh, the team viewer side. I said, "Run over to team viewer, just get it." Do you know how nice it was that because we chose a distro that is so prominent that when you just go to teamviewer.com, the download link for Ubuntu just pops right up, and she could just click on it, and then all of a sudden it worked. That would not have been true in OpenSUSE or CentOS or Fedora or Arch or you know any of those. So right there, that's how you choose Ubuntu. If you want that level of industry support, so when you're coming, so here's how I look at it. You have the most application availability on Windows. All mm-hmm. the apps you'll ever want, even the best open source apps, have been built for Windows. The second closest application availability window comes to Mac OS. And it's, it's fine. And then the third window, which is growing every single day and getting more exciting as we even record the show, is Ubuntu Desktop. I'm intentionally not saying the Linux desktop. It is the Ubuntu mm-hmm. Desktop, number three. Number four is the Linux desktop. You see how that's a very important distinction? And I'm not I'm not making a judgment call. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a bad thing. Uh, what I am telling you, if you're watching this show and you want to know what Linux you can switch to and have the most application availability, it's probably an Ubuntu version. It's probably an LTS version. That's how you choose Ubuntu. If you want to, If you want to reproduce the Windows paradigm where you go online, you download a file and you install it. It's going to work. It's going anything that's moderately important will probably work on Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. So my line for choosing Ubuntu is if you want to reproduce that experience, you're not necessarily a technical user yourself. You don't really have the time to Google your distribution name and an application. You just don't you and that I'm that's I'm not saying that with judgment. I <laughs> I have been there. I have not had the time to do that. You don't have the time for that. You just want to go to the Chrome. You want to go search for Chrome Linux. You want to go download the Debian file, and you want to install it. That's going to work on Ubuntu. You're good. Now, mm-hmm. if you want to go all in, if you really want to totally change the way that you compute, if you want, it, you want to forget the traditional software installation paradigm, you want something that's better. You want something that's not fraught with with fraudulent links. You want something that's not totally, totally spammed out with like, hey, would you like to update this? Hey, would you like to update this? Hey, would you like to update this? Hey, would you like to do this? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Those installers you download on Windows, then all of a sudden are automatically trying to update everything you've installed. Those are the worst. I don't if, actually, but I trust yeah, you. Yeah, right. Was, yeah, but they're, they're out there. <laughs> Install Shield, I'm looking at you. So if you don't want that kind of computing paradigm, there is a whole other way to look, look at Linux. And if you're, willing to, if you're willing to look at more than just, I go, I, so... Back to the freeze example, when we switched Chase to Linux, when he wanted to install Steam, he went Google, he went to Google, he installed Steam, Linux, and then he he just just went from there. If you're willing to accept that 
there's a different way to install software. There is, there is a better way to install software. Then so many more distributions open up to you. If you're willing to install software from what's called a repository, and repositories are, think of it as the proto app store. Before there were app stores, before there was a way to buy software using an app and have it automatically install on your computer, Linux distributions had repositories. And repositories are online directories of packages. And you can use your package manager to search these repositories to install the software on your computer without ever having to visit a website, without having to download a package file or installer file, without having to accept an end user license agreement. You can, from the command line, search for something and install it. And if you're willing to sort of shift the way you think about installing software on your computer, an entire world opens up to you. And then we start talking about a lot more than just Ubuntu. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. I, I do, but I, if we could just jump back to the uh, to uh, to the if you know being on a Ubuntu one click, I think there are a couple of choices that are even that even fit that paradigm, right? Because we have Ubuntu proper, we have Ubuntu Mate, we have Elementary OS, we have things like Mint. How do you discern between those Ubuntu derivatives of which one you're going to use? Hmm. I'll, I tell you, I'll I'll tell you how I choose, and then we'll see if it prompts you and um, if you agree or disagree. Okay. For me, if it's a desktop, uh, if it's a desktop thing, like I'm going to use it as my 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 main drive or something I'm using on a daily basis, that kind of thing, I'm going with Ubuntu proper because I think that Unity is a little bit more polished than, and polished is the wrong word, but a little bit more fancy, jazzed up than some of the other choices. If I am looking for something that's very utilitarian, it, like the computer I'm on right now, is it good? Are you choosing Unity because it's more jazzed up? Are you choosing Unity because nothing ever happens there? And if you install it three years ago, it's not gonna it's not gonna upset anybody three years later. Well, for example, like when I when I click on when I so first of all the dock, which is just kind of nice to have, but when you minimize Windows, it's animated, it goes down. Okay, so your answer is no. Your up. answer is no. You're doing it because yeah. you like it. Is yeah. it? Okay, all right, okay, valid. Yeah. But if it's if it's a utilitarian type of a thing, like the computer I'm on now, this yeah. computer, the only thing it has to do is just open Chrome and then just run Chrome, yeah, right? Yeah, same. And so for those kinds of OBS, for those kinds of things, I'm always going with Ubuntu Mate because the desktop is lighter weight and it just the desktop just gets out of my way. But and why I can why out. Ubuntu? Why not Debian? Why not Mint? Why not Arch? Why not CentOS? Why not Fedora? Well, because of all the reasons that we previously talked about. No, it, just give me give me is, give me super tight reasons. Why right now? Okay. So the Ubuntu ecosystem is just there. When I want Chrome, like today, I had to reinstall Chrome. I can just go to Chrome.com and click on the thing and, and double-click on the deb, and it just installs. And that isn't true with a lot of other distributions. Okay. And so even though it's Ubuntu Mate, that, you know, that, that, that holds true. Dropbox, for example, too. I used, we were on the air, uh, or I was on the air when I first set this box up, and I had to transfer some files to Rakai, and I can just I can go to Dropbox, and I just click on the Dropbox thing, and now I have Dropbox on here, and it's syncing all the files. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to figure it out. I didn't have to read some guide. I didn't have to install some dependencies. I just I clicked on the button, and it worked. And that is true of Ubuntu proper or Ubuntu Mate. So that's just kind of how I discern between which one of the Ubuntus I'm going to use. Hmm. It sounds like you're not picking between Linux distros, and I'm not saying this to be critical, but it sounds like you're picking between Ubuntu uh, derivatives. I I, I am. That is true. And in fact, I treat every distribution as a separate operating system. And I think that when you you frame it up like that, that's good. 
Because then it starts to make sense why you say, because then it eliminates all these things like, well, we need universal installers. Well, actually we don't because we have, if you just treat, and that's why certain things will work on Ubuntu, but they won't work on Arch and certain things will work on Fedora, but they won't work on Ubuntu. And you get these cross state because they're all separate operating systems. They just happen to share the same kernel. They have different desktop environments. They have uh, different uh, libraries installed, different versions and but they just, they happen to share the same kernel. You know, I'll be honest with you. Before I started, I mean, just 20 minutes before we went on air, I was I was talking to the beard and I said, how do I not make this a use Arch episode? Just use Arch, <laughs> right? Because for me, and, I, and this is why I say this, for me, the most important thing about a distribution is that I can get my work done and install the software I need. And so for me, Anagros, because I can get it up and running super quick with a lot of the most recent packages that I care about, and I can install just about anything I want from the AUR, makes it a hyper-compelling distribution. But that's so what you would expect from me. And I didn't want to give you that answer. I wanted to, I wanted mm -hmm. to give you more than that. And I wanted to say... I wanted to come here and say, choose Ubuntu, or choose Fedora, or choose this, that. For But really, what it, I, I guess what my answer is, is what is the most compelling feature for you? For me, yeah. it's quick setup and software availability. And, and, and nothing beats that. And that's honestly why I am so excited about flat packs and snap packages. Because, man, mm -hmm. if you neutralize the software, avail software availability, oh, geez, dude. All of a sudden, Linux is like this whole new flat landscape that's super crazy right. exciting to me. So how do you right. how do you not make it about software availability? How do you not make uh, it about those things? Easy. So when it comes to Arch, and this this is great. This is a great week to do this episode because so many examples just happen to come up. Back to when we're working on Hadia's computer. Opened up my laptop, running Antragos, went to a controller computer via TeamViewer, right? Open up TeamViewer, go to connect, says can't connect because your partner is using a newer version of TeamViewer than you're using. And I thought, okay. So I go, I update my system, still doesn't work. What do you I want? I uninstalled TeamViewer. Uh, 11, she downloaded, she, because she just went to the site. What so distro? she just got, you know, whatever, uh, Arch, Antergos, Antergos. So she, I go to the AUR, turns out the latest version that was in the AUR at that point was 12. 12 had come out that day or the day before or something like that. And I assume it just hadn't made it in there. I, I'm sure it will be available very, very soon. And nine out of 10 times, any GPL software, open source software would be available on Arch yeah, before it was available on anything else. But the reality is, is like when you are, when you're working on, on day-to-day -day stuff, part of using Antragos is that you have to be willing to troubleshoot your own system because you're going to come up with some kind of weird problems. I had another issue just a week before that where I couldn't open Lightworks again because there was, I think I talked about this because the version of, uh, Pulse Audio was newer than what Lightworks expected, right? And so I had to downgrade that specific package. Now, that's fine for somebody like me that's willing to look through the error log and find the version of Pulse, and I know what Pulse is. That means something to me. But if you're just a person that clicks on the button and wants to edit video, and, you, you know, it's just that's not going to work for you, and those users are out there. So I think that and that's why I put Arch and Antragos and even Fedora into what I call the power user category, the people that are willing to, they want to push the envelope and they want to customize the system and tweak a little bit and, and push things a little forward. And they're okay with troubleshooting a couple minor problems along the way. Hmm. So if we were going to title this, how to choose the Linux distro, you would say mm -hmm. Ubuntu for those of you that want to just download a link and install it. And yep. would you say Arch and Fedora for those of you that are willing to troubleshoot and install from the repo? Yep. 
Yep. I feel like and, being, and Gen two will include Gen two in there. Yeah, I actually if, feel if you like want that's, to if that that's being too too nice to Fedora. I feel like really. Well, kind of, yeah. Actually, I feel like it's Arch and Gentoo. Yeah, but you have to, I mean, really, you can't really just use Fedora out of the box, realistically. I mean, you have to at least know how to get, you know, add RPM Fusion and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think there's enough There's enough significant tweaking in there that I couldn't just tell somebody. I mean, basically, with the exception of we installed some software for Hadia, she could have done that herself, right? Yeah. Like, we were yeah. basically being courteous to her. Right. Uh, she, I don't know that I could say the same thing for her on Fedora or Arch or, or any of those. She could have went to Chrome.com and downloaded it. So I Fair don't know. I, I, Fair. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. So uh, if here's how you pick a distro. Then if you're never gonna if you're never gonna have a Linux expert help you, then one of the mm -hmm. Ubuntu's. Right. And if you're gonna have a Linux user help you, or if you're willing to learn and read first, Fedora or Arch. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't leave a lot of room for Gen two or many of the others either. How do you feel about well, that? Gen do you, is just, do you feel like you're being a dick? Do you I feel agree. like you're? No, I agree. I think that I think that Gen two will just say that's like way to, maybe like extreme power user. Like if you want to really dig in and you, you know, want you want to squeeze all of the performance out. You want to make sure you get every yeah. frame like Gen two or, or just learn it. Just learn it. Then you know. Then you're way down mm -hmm. with Gen two or or you know or Slackware would be another you know power user distro yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Gen two was extremely educating for me. So personal experience, Gen two, super solid. I learned a lot by doing a phase mm -hmm. one and or whatever they called it, like a, a stage one. Is stage one install. I learned a lot using Gen two. I I not only did I learn a lot about Linux installing Gen two, I learned a lot about disk partitioning. I learned a lot about how the BIOS mm -hmm. works with Gen 2. Like there was some seriously right. deep dive stuff you learned there. But yeah. But if we were going to like zoom out and we were going to say mm -hmm. one distribution that we could recommend to most people. How That's do I not to. How do I not say Anagros? Because I think that Anagros assumes a certain level of understanding about your system, your computer and the Linux ecosystem. I agree with everything Actually, you know about what? the last part. I think Anacros yeah. is the is the distribution you recommend to people that are smart and curious and enjoy yeah. technology. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I guess what I was I guess my argument well, yeah, yeah I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, however, you know, I have I have machines here in the studio running Ubuntu 16.10, so don't ask me, right? I mean, my personal well, workstations are Arch, but my production workstations, well, one of them at least is Ubuntu 16.10. So that should tell you something. The two people who use Linux day in and day out for everything have uh, wobble between two different distros, Ubuntu and Arch. So that should tell uh, So that should really tell you something. Well, because you know, you know that there's somebody out there that's going to download the Arch installer, and then nobody yeah. told me certain things about Arch before I started using Arch. So one is you don't actually use Arch, use Integros. And then the other really big thing about, oh, there's all this software availability and there's all this thing. You can't use... Uh, uh, you know, uh, Pac-Man, you, you can't download. I was downloading. The, do you remember this? This is the first episode we ever did of Linux Action Show. And I brought my laptop there and, I, you know, I'm very shy and not very confident in my opinion. And I'm like, yeah, I don't entirely agree with you on the whole, like, it's so much easier to get software. And and you're like, no, it is. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And you're like, download Dropbox. I'm like, okay. So I go aur.archlinux.org and I click on the XZ and I extract the thing and then I make tarball. And you're sitting there watching me. You're like, what the heck are you doing? And I'm like, installing the package from the AUR and you're like, oh my God, you don't know about Packer? And I'm like, what's Packer? <laughs> you yeah. know? And it like, yeah, yeah. You have 
you have yeah. to have some of that stuff. Yeah, you you're right. It. You're right. And what you're basically saying is you have to be burned a few times to, to learn the better way to do it. And when you when you switch yeah. distributions, it this is the biggest thing is when you switch distros, it looks like it's crazy. It looks like it's impossible. It looks like they, they don't do it. They haven't figured it out. And if you just stick with it for a few weeks, I'd say if you give yourself three weeks, get not I'm not even asking for a month. Give yourself mm-hmm. three weeks with a distro and you can probably make it work. And that's yep. that is really the dirty secret about Linux is all of the distros are great. And if you just stick with right. one particular distro for long enough, you'll make it work. Mm-hmm. And if you read their documentation, you get involved with the community, it's going to work for you. So the real secret to Linux is all of the distros are great. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we go, I want to mention our last segment sponsor, System76. You know, it's funny because System76, maybe we should put them at the top because they're creators of machines that are born to run Linux. Are you sick and tired of fighting with little itsy-bitsy tiny issues and you just want to get some work done? Get that near-damn-out-of-the-box experience, just like it should be, at System76.com. But mm, more important than that, mm, more important, mm, <laughs> more important than that. They got an AR situation right now with robots, and Noah hates robots. In Air 15? Yeah, no, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta oh. go shoot robots in artificial reality. And I know how much you like the cloud, and I know how much you like robots. Mm-hmm. You gotta go check that out. Mm-hmm. And then, if maybe you like a hardware like I do, you like to use the hardware. Check out their Oryx Pro. I'm not saying you gotta go only Oryx Pro because the Bonobs. I got two of them. I love them. I love them. But the Oryx. I mean. You remember okay, how you, I have to ask, would you really would you really get the 4K? Like really? Why not? Being in production. Well, because production, because HDMI mirroring, because Oh, you know. Well, okay. Yeah. If I if I'm going to if I'm like if I'm like showing this screen on the on the on the live stream, I probably want 1080p because that's what we capture in. However, if I'm working or I'm editing, oh yeah, I want 4K because very simply if you're doing screenshots, if you're if you're if you at, at any point need to make a a document around a 1080p display, 4K is brilliant. Like when you're editing in 4K, you can make the 1080p window, and then you have your whole UI, all of the Chrome, all of the stuff, all around it. Boom! Right there, 4K is brilliant, Noah. It's brilliant. And I agree with that. It just it's such a pain. Like having used it and like trying to make it work with things, it's just a pain. And I actually think that 4K is kind of like overdone. Like really, if unless you have a 15 inch screen or larger, it's just it's too much. Too much density. Mm. Well, first of all, the Oryx is 15 inch screen. But I would you know what, Noah? You know what, Noah? You know what you just said? You just did something I can't dispute. We need to get an Oryx Pro right here, hands-on, and we got to try it and see if it truly that's, is great. That's great. System 76, get on that. All right, yeah. we got to jump into feedback. Yeah, let's do so it. So our first feedback first feedback comes from Hadia D, and she writes, Dear Sparkle Homie, I could play with you for the rest of my life and only be getting started. You have great hair, <laughs> what? nice tush, what? and really beautiful kids. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thanks for being my family. Congratulations, Chris, for getting engaged. Our second piece of feedback comes... <laughs> 
<laughs> Congratulations. Every single segment. <laughs> <laughs> from Brad C. We didn't think I was going to miss that. Did I did not. <laughs> comes in from Brad C. And he asks about a cheap Linux laptop. He says, my daughter's school recently got 20 Chromebooks to share between third and fourth uh, grade classes. As you might imagine, that's not enough. They are recommending that parents buy one for their kids, but also say a PC or a Mac would be fine. I've had my daughter doing her work on an old laptop. I put a Ubuntu 16.04. That's a 17-inch laptop. I'm wondering if you know of any small, inexpensive laptops that could run Ubuntu that you could suggest. Most of her work is with Google Docs and Google Classroom. All right. I love all the JB shows. Thanks. Mm. What do you think? You made me answer this one because I'm going to just say, I'm going to say sign up for the Google stuff. I mean, I hate saying that. Don't make me answer this one. No, I don't want to be the one to say sign up for the Google I'll, stuff. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some hope then. Here's, here's, the, here's the possibility. Go back to last week's episode of Linux Action Show. Take a look at our spotlight. We highlighted an $89 ARM-based computer mm, that, come uh, on. You could, that you, well, so here's my, here's my thought. Honestly, are any of those Chromebooks terribly powerful with the exception of the Pixel C? Most of them pretty crappy, right? Probably better than the an $80 ARM device, though. You think so? Yeah, I do. I'd, okay, take, so I'd, I'd my... take a used x86 device over an $80 ARM device. I think I would, yeah. Okay. All right. So then here here would be my suggestion. Hop on eBay and take a look at uh, some older, like, Core i5, Core i7, uh, you know, like, 4th gen, 3rd gen, something like that. You should be able to find, like, a, like an X220 for, like, 150 bucks. And that'll be a that'll be a fortune i5 yeah. with like four gigs of RAM. You have to swap the hard drive out yeah. for an SSD, but I think that'd be a really good computer. I like that. I like that. I think that's solid. Okay. Yeah. All right. You ready to move on to Barry? Yes, sir. Barry writes in about moving Microsoft to Linux. He says that this isn't really a question, but more of a prediction that could be bad or bad, good or bad, depending on how you look at it. All right, Barry. He says, with uh, Microsoft adding in support for Bash, etc., into Windows 10, and then creating a .NET SDK for Linux, which allows PowerShell to run, do you think, as I do, that MS may be looking at moving Windows 10, not talking about server editions, etc., to a Linux distro, and then having Microsoft packages like .NET and other packages running on top of Linux? This would mean that they don't have to support and patch their desktop distro, and they also could save a lot of time and money. But I think it may be something that they're looking into. Send any regards to Chris and the team for the great shows. Cheers. Oh, well, thank you. What do you think, Noah? Could it be possible that Microsoft is working on... Let's just let's take what Barry is saying and let's take it another level. Let's say they're productizing everything. .NET, Microsoft Office, all the individual Which components. Which they are, by the way. Could they be moving to a Microsoft that all of their major components run on Linux? I, w I, I said actually a long time ago, in fact, again, another conversation I was having with Rakai just a couple of days ago. If I was Microsoft, I would just move everything over to Linux as the base of Linux because all the software developers will just they'll write for whatever the next version of Windows is anyway. And then you don't you offload all of the development of your core off to some other company. Yeah. And you can put the Windows error desktop on top of it or whatever, but you'd retain all of the mm. developers. You'd essentially stop Mac out because there'd be literally no reason for anyone to go over to Apple for development uses. Of course, this is all a pipe dream. It's probably never gonna happen. Well, but if I was here's system, what I'll say. That's what I would do. I I made a prediction three years ago that Microsoft would virtualize the Windows system 
and use that as a compatibility layer, much like Apple did when they switched from PowerPC to x86. Mm. So what I mean by that mm. is they, they had a classic instruction set emulation environment that emulated the PowerPC instructions. So you could run PowerPC applications on an x86-based Mac. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It basically ran in a virtual machine. Sure. Only it did like borderless, so you had the application. I, I, I have always thought Microsoft will eventually do something like that with Windows. So you can still run your Windows yeah. 16 and Windows 32 and Windows 64 applications, but they'll actually run using either hypervisor or something in Windows. Mm-hmm. And, and in the background, you'll just double-click on the application, and it'll launch, but it'll actually be yep. using a virtual machine to power it. So what will they use as the base operating system? I don't know. I mean, three years ago, I would have said I, it totally would have been, it would not have been anything GPL. It would not have been Linux. But then, you know, at the end of 2016, I, I, I still don't see it. No, I don't see it. I don't see them switching to a, like a GNU user land and then classic Windows emulation via would, some, you, but, I don't see but it. If we, can dream for a, if we can dream for a second, Improved security, improved reliability. You would also you'd get the geek factor because people would be you know running Linux and you know, whatever. People like you and me would stop reinstalling. I wouldn't bother uninstalling Windows if it was running Linux and it was it was if it was an, especially if it was like an Ubuntu core. So all of my Ubuntu stuff ran. I just I just buy a laptop and I just use it right out of the box. Probably never happened, but I God, I would be. I mean amazing. that sounds super attractive because it's like the death of wine. It's like it's like like everything like Linux is the base OS and then I have like VMs that run compatible Windows. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'll say this. If if Microsoft truly has changed and they really don't see Windows as the main platform to push anymore, they've become a new company under Sache. Mm-hmm. Then it'll happen. Then it will happen. However, if Microsoft is is just playing a, a slightly different game, if they're just running a slightly different calculus, if Microsoft yeah. is just playing a different market, then I don't think it will change. And I think that will be the true differentiator. That will be the true telling. If Microsoft detaches themselves from the Windows desktop environment and and opens up the field versus Microsoft continuing to sort of focus in on the best experience being the Windows desktop, that will be the true telling if Microsoft has switched, if it's a new Microsoft. And just this weekend, Noah, just this weekend, Mm -hmm. I saw a blog post about how it's a new Microsoft. They're all in. They're all in on Linux. They're all in on open source. It's a new Microsoft. Just this weekend, I saw yet another blog post, which I could add to another Mm -hmm. 215 blog posts that I have seen about. It's a new Microsoft. Well, I will tell you this. Mm -hmm. It is a new Microsoft Mm -hmm. the day they detach themselves from the Windows platform, and they base it on something that is open source. I'm not even going to say GPL. Open source. And then they don't Mm -hmm. really care. If they just make the Windows environment something you can emulate on any open source platform. Mm Mm-hmm. That's my I agree. And changing. you know, what's funny is every time we bring that up, somebody in the YouTube comments or wherever, Reddit somewhere, will tell us how we're unfair to Microsoft. And then we're bigots. a couple of times, yeah, et cetera. Write, yeah, exactly. A couple of times I write perfectly executed analysis of why what we're saying is correct. And nobody ever wants to debate me. So uh, I'll just save you the trouble. If you're going to write a comment, but you don't actually want to have a discussion about it, and I can explain to you why you're wrong. Just don't bother writing the comment. Because it's for people who like to mess with computers. Yeah, I that's agree. right, Leo. Yeah, yeah that's right. All Leo's right. Let's right. go to the SIP uh, question. All right. This is from Reddit. 
So uh, this came in from the subreddit, and I wanted to bring it to your attention because I thought this was actually kind of an interesting question because we kind of like mention SIP here and there, but we don't actually go into it. He says, I hear Noah mention SIP calling sometimes, and I'm wondering what he uses and what you guys use. I'm looking for a good, inexpensive provider. I need to be able to receive inbound calls and make outbound calls outside of SIP, so POTS. Uh, I have looked around uh, around the web, and I see there are plenty of options. But he really wants to know what Noah has used, since uh, Noah is obviously using it day to day. So I have my own SIP server, and if I followed that Reddit thread down to the bottom, and it sounds like that's not what you're you're not looking to do. That you just want to pay a monthly fee and and have a and have a, a, a service that works. So I would recommend Zoiper, which works on Linux or on Android. So you can use the same piece of software on 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 whatever platform. And there's a company called Nextiva, and it's basically you pay $19 a month. They give you a phone number. They give you login credentials, which you put into Zoiper, and now you have SIP servers. It's that simple. You don't have to manage anything. You don't have to install anything. You don't have to set anything up. If you do want to know exactly how we set everything up and how we run it, the specific pieces of software and tie-ins that we use, last episode 400 goes over all of that. It's a how-to, step uh, step by step, exactly how to get that done. 400? Really? 300. 400. We 400. did that in 400? I mean... <laughs> I think so. <laughs> okay. Am I wrong? I'm usually really good about episode numbers. No, I no, believe I you. It's just that 400 was the wireless ISP episode because, you know, it's oh, episode 400. No, that was the anniversary episode. Yeah. It's yeah. last 400. I'm right. Yeah. It's in there. It's last in there. It's something you and I have talked about and something we're considering doing. We're using Jitsi. J-I-T-S-I for the video right now. And we're using it for the audio right now, but we might in the future be using what? What are you laughing about? We might be soon using it. Uh, I'm not. I'm not laughing. I'm just the, you're spelling Jitsi. Would you know how to spell it if I didn't say it out loud? No, that's why. I, <laughs> that's why I'm yeah, <laughs> we might be using, but in the future we might be using Jitsi for the video because hey, it's great, and SIP for the audio. Which uh, mm-hmm. speaking of Chase, uh, he actually uses on his uh, Gamer.TV network. He uses mm-hmm. Skype for the video. And SIP for the audio. Mm-hmm. We could use Jitsi for the video. And SIP and for no the And no one is infinite wisdom set SIP up on the computer. Or, But actually there's an issue with the audio interface. But once we get that fixed, then we will already have it all set up. Boom. Boom. All right. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. If there's something we didn't talk about this week, did we fail to speak about something that you're interested in? Well, <laughs> LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. <laughs> Ultimate power! What? Oh, that's how you get topics into this show. Maybe it's not ultimate power, but that's how you definitely get topics, super cool open source projects and spotlights and runs Linux into the show. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com, JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contacts, how you get emails. And oh, you want to watch like twice as much show? You want double the show? Well, then you should watch it live over at jblive.tv and you get the live times at JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar. Noah, am I forgetting any single freaking thing. That you got engaged this week? Did you mention that? Did we talk about that? YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher. You can follow him on the Twitters at Colonel Linux and me, you'd already know, at Chris LAS and the network at Jupiter Signal. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. Get dressed in the morning. There I am. Okay? So this is first step. Wait, hold on. You have a Craigslist shirt? Yeah, 
I don't Man, know. I you're looking good too. You're looking nice and trim. Nice job, dude. Thank you. Those pizzas Thank did you. not did not really affect you negatively. <laughs> All that pizza you ate. All right, then you go right, on so with is these. Are, are these Carhartts? Carhartts. These are overalls, so they they go on. This is like snow pants, right? That's step one. Step two is now. Now it's step like you got you, you got. Go ahead. Fleece jacket. This is the under. This is the under jacket. This is before you get to the real jacket. So this is the one that like keeps all my body heat actually in. That's step two. Step three is full wool socks. It's over one, regular Costco socks. I will over add over regular socks. That's right. I got I got big thick socks. I go on. And after that, that's the other one. Then after that, we got boots. And so these boots seal to the pants so that snow and wind and all that can't get in. And then after that, I get the Carhartt jacket that goes on over my uh, over my overalls and over the fleece and over yeah. the overalls. you got to hook me up with the, I want a branded Jupiter Broadcasting Carhartt. No problem. Okay, then you got then the gloves. Got gloves. Yeah, yeah. got to have gloves. No seal to the Carhartt jacket. Then I have a balclava, which is what messes my hair up. Thank you very much. What's in your hand? Uh, I'll show you. Next picture. Oh, goggles. So Are you serious? You gotta wear all around. Yeah, you gotta wear yeah. goggles. I mean, I, I, not out like out to the car or anything. I wouldn't wear them. But if I'm gonna be outside for any prolonged period of time, like how long? Like how long? Like how long? Yeah. If you're gonna go outside, how long? If I'm gonna, if I'm out there for any more than like thirty or forty minutes, I'd wear goggles. Because otherwise, your eyes like this. What'll happen is water, like snow, will get on your eyebrows and then it melts and then it freezes and then you get little icicles like all the way around your. Yeah, face but that looks fucking badass, doesn't it? Doesn't that just look badass? Hurts. Oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. Yeah, it hurts like crazy, and you get so frostbite. So if you like, wanted you know, to go like, for skin is really thin. you just like, hey man, I feel like going for a walk. I just feel like going for like a fucking thirty minute walk. You got to go through all this. Yeah, I would go through all this absolutely. I mean, not every day, but like if it's like forty or fifty below zero, absolutely, hundred percent. I'd be wearing all this, and then yeah, I flip the hood. I up. can't even. You could I, you could you could walk up next to me, and I would not even know if. You, first of all, you look twice as fat as you actually are. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I am. Twice Here's the thing. Once you get into uh, cold weather gear, I can go lay out at 60 below zero. I can be out there for five hours and I'd be hot. Like, I'd be like, huh, it's kind of warm out here. Like, I, I don't feel a thing. Doesn't bother me at all. Wow, man. There isn't a part of my body that's exposed. So Wow. Wow. All anyway, Carhartt, huh? All Carhartt. Yeah, all Carhartt. I had the Google Glass on. <laughs> yeah, you do. So you anyway. got the Google Glass on. <laughs> so if you ever want to know why my hair is messed up when I get here, that's why. Whew. Let me tell you something. If there's anything I've been convinced of seeing Chris's kids, it's that's this is Dylan is going to grow up. I'm convinced he is going to grow up to be the like the world's best ambassador somewhere okay. or or, some, or 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 he'll like he'll take over like Trump Tower and he'll do all of Trump's <laughs> negotiations. <laughs> the kid can negotiate like you wouldn't believe. Like he is, he is incredible. Like yeah. I was, I'm sitting there watching him. I'm like, now if there was, if there wasn't child labor laws, I could totally hire this kid to do sales. Like, yeah, yeah. He hustled me last night actually, and uh, he got, he got to stay up an extra hour watching Star Trek. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah, I couldn't resist. I bought some Black Friday hard drives with it for the studio. I bought uh, four or five terabyte drives for the studio. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. All Bitcoin. The migration. Huh? Yeah, you well, you know what I'm thinking I'm going to do? Hmm. Can you guess how? Well, the whole... well, so there's a couple of options. We have an eSATA tower, which I could maybe hook up to a rig and just copy it all that mm -hmm. way. But the thing that sounds more fun would be to, to pull Lady Jupes up to the front of the studio and run an Gosh. Ethernet cable to the garage and then copy it over to the QNAP with Lady Jupes. You're so crazy. <laughs> Why? That's You're awesome. You're so crazy. I think that I, plus, I think it'd make great content. <laughs> the, e I. What? What? 
and you and, 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 and you're worried about making jokes about Twitter. Like that is so far overdone. Like for what you need. Like it, what? What are you talking about? Even, what is? What is? Driving an RV for like I. What? I I, 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 words are not flowing from my mouth. I just like, it's like, it's like things are banging inside of my head and there's like, you don't need to drive your RV to move your QNAP from your RV over to the studio and you don't need to run an ethernet cable outside of the studio back into your RV to get connection to it. All you'd really need to do is just move the tiny little QNAP, which yeah. you could fit under your arm and, yeah. and walk if you wanted to. And if you didn't want to do that, you uh -huh. could just grab one of the many computers right. that are sitting around and just plug some drives in and copy uh -huh. some data. But you see, I've got a 25 <laughs> foot ethernet cable already wired, so I might as well use it. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you see. I'm thinking content here, Noah. I'm thinking it's way more content to move an entire RV than it is to carry a Q now. That's all. I'm just, just.